When the formidable leader of the Kiyoshi warriors returned to the Fire Lord's quarters, the first thing she did was cross her arms over her chest and smirk. For a girl so accustomed to battle when she was in her war paint, oh, how her features softened when before her was certainly an endearing sight to behold. The snoring, she thought fondly, could be heard all the way to the other end of the wing of the royal palace. And it was a significantly long hallway. How long has he been asleep? She asked. Not that long. About ten minutes, probably. That much drool? In ten minutes? He's your boyfriend, Zuko answered. Her ward had been sitting up, propped up with an inordinate amount of red silk pillows, with half his body covered by his blankets. The new Fire Lord wore a matching red silk robe, embroidered with elaborate designs in gold thread of flames and dragons to drive home the point of where and who he was. That was somewhat undone, revealing the bandages that covered the scar on the middle of his chest. His dark hair appeared flat and almost wet, as if it hadn't been washed in three days. And it hadn't been. It was good to see him like this. Alive. The color had returned to his cheeks in the few days that had passed when he was diligently and dutifully looked after by his friends. Suki delighted in that knowledge, though to say that that was the sole reason for her smile was incorrect for Sokka, who had promised her that he would take good care of Zuko while she took a quick power nap in their quarters, was fast asleep by Zuko's bedside table a pool of drool dripping from the fountain that was his open, snoring mouth. She laughed and sat by Zuko's bed. How are you feeling? Good. Better. He answered. His hands fidgeted by his lap and his gold eyes kept stealing glances at his open door. Where is everybody? Well, quick recap. Master Pandal just arrived with Appa, so Aang's there, greeting him. She answered. While she spoke, she gestured with her hand to count out all the people she knew he cared for. With one notable exception. Your uncle's acting as regent as you instructed, but you probably don't remember giving out the order, so... Heads up, you did. And he's facilitating the transfer of the Fire Nation soldiers from Earth Kingdom Hold in your behalf while you recover. So he's been in back-to-back peacekeeping meetings pretty much all day. While Toph is with Thala and the newly elected High Sage, I think his name's Hakuho or something? And they're screening your staff and security detail. Zuko blinked and waited while Suki remained simply staring at him. Smiling. Teasing. His mouth open, his eyes darted about the room, hoping that his silence would press her on to continue. He raised a brow at her while her expression remained unchanged. And? And what? Who else do you want to know about? Suki knew exactly who Zuko wanted to know about. And he knew that she knew. He closed his eyes and exhaled through his nose deeply. (laughs) <laughs> Relax, Suki finally answered. 
His shoulders dropped and expelled a breath he'd been holding, and he opened his eyes again to look at her. Guitar is asleep. She has been for a few hours now, I think. Oh, he said. That's good. You needed a bit more healing after, well, you know, that. You kind of just passed out after you ate something. They gave you some special kind of milk that let you sleep for a while and help you heal, but that really knocked you out. Katara says you may need a few more sessions after that and to call her immediately if you feel even the slightest bit bad, but I think she's just being extra careful, you know? The last healing session was as far as she could go. She really needed the rest. Wait, how long have I been out? Two days, off and on. Two days? You were pretty confused every time you woke up before, so I've had to catch you up on pretty much everything at least twice now. So why are you two here? It's our shift. Well, actually, it's my shift to look after you, but Sokka didn't want to walk around and help with the arrangements and accommodations for the Northern and Southern Water Tribe delegates because his leg's still messed up, and he volunteered to switch shifts with me so I could rest a bit. We're not exactly just about to let anyone watch over you after everything we did to save your life. Well, mostly Katara. And your uncle. But really, I think Sokka just wanted to take a nap too. At that moment, the other boy woke with a jump, dried spit near his lips, a stark contrast to his dark skin. Huh? The cactus made me do it! He yelled, delirious. Zuko and Suki looked at him with matching expressions of both disgust and endearment. His blue eyes darted between the pair, trying to regain his bearings. Wait, what? What's going on? <laughs> Good morning to you too, uh... Suki tried too quickly, voice high in her jest. Sleep... Sloozer... Sleeper... The two boys gave each other a look, neither of them wanting to comment on her attempt. They grit their teeth and grimaced at her, attempting to make it look like a smile that wasn't forced. Okay, fine, whatever, said Suki, throwing her hands up in the air and rolling her eyes. I'm not good at nicknames, sheesh, she groaned as she stood up. I do one thing badly. I'm so sorry. Zuko and Sokka laughed. She cricked up the corner of her lip. But anyway, Zuko's awake. And properly this time, I think. I'm gonna go get you some food. You haven't had a real meal in days. She looked to Sokka. You okay to watch him for a bit while I go get his lunch? With a mocking gasp and a dramatic hand over his heart, Sokka replied, <gasps> You doubt me? Yes. She deadpanned without hesitation. Constantly. I'm hurt. He replied, pouting. Truly. She snorted and shook her head. <laughs> I'll be right back. She said, Get me lunch too, please, he called after her. 
As Suki left the room, Sokka stretched his back. He heard the telltale crackle and pop of his spine as he did, so as sleeping on top of a desk was not an ideal sleeping position. He yawned and tried to rub the lethargy out of his eyes. You two bigger like an old married couple already, Zuko quipped. While food had been the last thing on his mind when he woke up, now that Suki had mentioned it, he did feel the emptiness was slowly starting to make itself known around his middle. A phantom ache stung just by the center of his chest. He held himself there to hold in the pain and winced. Whoa, are you okay? Sokka asked, noticing his discomfort immediately. It's fine. Zuko answered quickly, his other hand in a gesture of stop to ease the other man's worry. I'm fine. Just hungry. Aren't you? Always, the other boy replied. But anyway, I was actually hoping I'd be here when you woke up for real. How come? Well, Sokka started. He slid himself down the chair ever just so, stretching out his injured leg to reach for something in his pocket. Katara told us what happened. He continued as he reached for the stone and placed it on Zuko's bedside table. It was Kana's betrothal necklace. Katara's necklace. What do you mean she told you what happened? During that fight with your crazy sister? Yeah, what about it? Sokka made a noise. Half a snort, half a chuckle, and whole incredulity. His dedication to his sister was so ingrained already that it didn't even strike him as something remarkable. Man, this guy's got it bad, he thought. What you did? What you did for my sister? Man, I don't know if there are words. I, I just... Sokka. Zuko tried, but he wouldn't let him get a word in. No, shut up. You're gonna let me do this, said Sokka. You risked your life to save my sister. No, you nearly died to save my sister. A pause came as his blue gaze held his gold, an understanding born between them. When this warrior from the Southern Water Tribe spoke, there was no stopping him. It was clear that he had been rehearsing this speech in his head for the last few days. Zuko, there's no thanking something like that. That's not something I can ever repay. Pretty sure I'm speaking for my dad here, too. And I'm also pretty sure he's going to let you know on his own, because I'm definitely going to tell him what you did. So, heads up, fair warning, you're going to get hugged, probably. Like, super hard. And no, I won't be talked out of it. Sokka. Shut up for a sec, okay? He said, hands up. I just... Sokka took a long, deep breath. He closed his eyes and kept his hands up. This isn't easy for me, and I've literally been practicing this in my head for, like, two days, so here goes. Pause for dramatic effect, he thought, as he imagined an imaginary drum in his head filling up the silence. Zuko raised his scarred brow at him and blinked, unsure of how to react. Finally, 
He raised his head and looked the Fire Lord dead in the eye and said, I know you're in love with my sister. What? It was nearly enough to get his new heart to jump out of his chest. He straightened up from where the pillows had kept him propped up so swiftly that his middle immediately ached at the movement. Zuko groaned and fell back to the comfort of them and winced. Sokka only watched, a knowing smirk on his face while warmth and blood rose to color the face of the new, esteemed Fire Lord. Zuko, he said plainly. Literally everyone knows how in love with her you are except Aang. But he's excused because he's like, you know, Aang. I'm going to leave that bombshell to you guys. Zuko swallowed, his eyes wide as his gaze darted from the still-open door of his room to Sokka's speech as he went on. And, well, at first, I wasn't all for it. I mean, I thought you guys were cute or whatever, but I didn't... I don't know. It's a big brother thing, you know? I just never thought anybody would ever be good enough for her. Or I never wanted anybody to be good enough for her, I don't know. She's protected me for most of my life, and it just kind of kills me a little bit that I can't protect her from everything. It was odd to hear Sokka's voice get like this, dropped from his usual high comedic pitch. He had the cadence of a man grown. While there was uncertainty in how he spoke, there was heart in there as well. There was a truth, a vulnerability that he was letting Zuko see. Sokka continued. But then you jumped in front of lightning for my sister. You burned from the inside out to save my sister without even thinking about it. And I know my sister doesn't need any more protecting or to be saved or whatever because we both know she can take care of herself just fine. Zuko's eyes stole a glance at the door. Sokka. And, he said, still not letting anyone interject, and you came with me to Boiling Rock to save my dad and Suki. Zuko, what you've done for my family. He stopped to look down. His good leg had started shaking, bouncing up and down in quick succession. He played with his hands and fumbled with his fingers. Look, I'm not going to tell you to go after her or whatever. That's on you guys. If that's what she wants, what you want, yada, yada, yada. But what I'm trying to say is, if you guys do, like, decide to be together... I want you to know I'm okay with it. You don't have to worry about her family, namely me and her dad and grand-grand, being okay with it. Because, trust me, buddy, even if you and her don't end up together for some reason, you're invited to every Southern Water Tribe beast for the rest of your life. Are you done? Suki asked from behind him. Suki! said Sokka, startled as he twisted his head to find her carrying a large tray filled with food and a pot of tea. How did you get here so fast? You talk a lot, she said, setting the tray up over Zuko's lap. And for a long time, Zuko added, taking the ornate and overly elaborate porcelain chopsticks. It doesn't take too long to go get food from the kitchens, you know. Everybody wants to get in on the new Fire Lord's good side, said Suki, propping one of the bowls to the bedside that Sokka had commandeered. 
She handed him another pair of equally elaborate chopsticks, and he lifted the lid to reveal the noodles inside. Mmm, said Sokka. Fire Nation food is the best. When Zuko lifted the lid on his bowl, he frowned when he saw that it was only mostly water. Suki, an apology woven into the way she scrunched up her button nose, shrugged as she explained. Katara said no hard foods for a while until you're fully healed, so I just got broth. But, she said, lifting the lid to the woven steamer basket just by the bowl. I did also sneak in some dumplings. Said they were for me, just in case you can handle it. Well, yeah, anyway, said Sokka. Long noodles dripping out of his mouth as he chewed, broth dribbling down his chin. He slurped the noodles loudly into his mouth. I should wash it. I'm standing wire. He said as he chewed. He swallowed, lightly punched his chest, cleared his throat, and sighed. Sokka straightened up his spine and looked the Fire Lord in the eyes and held his gaze. Thank you, Zuko, for saving her. I didn't have a choice, was his reply, his voice soft and quiet. The blush on his cheeks grew redder by the second and he smiled to himself, tucking his chin into his neck. And even if I did, I would have chosen her every time. Suki put a hand over her heart, and Sokka rolled his eyes as he returned to his more natural slouch and helped himself to more of his noodles. Okay, sheesh, we get it, you're in love, he joked, blowing on the hot, still steaming noodles. You gotta be so loud about it. Thanks, Sokka, said Zuko, taking one of the dumplings and dipping it lightly into the ponzu sauce with fresh strips of ginger by the side of the basket. You didn't deny it, Sokka noted, his mouth full. Kinda thought you would. What's to deny? Zuko muttered, taking the dumpling whole into his mouth. Aww, said Sokka and Suki loudly and in unison. Their eyes became comically large as they looked at him, both of them putting their hands over their hearts. Zuko rolled his eyes and chewed his food. Shut up and let me eat my dumplings. In the hours that passed, Zuko had yet to see Katara. And oh, how he'd felt her absence. After his meal with Suki and Sokka, he was passed about as if he were a child's plaything. Servants were rushing to help wash his hair, his feet, even down to his fingernails. A servant had even offered to carry an obscenely large bowl of pitted cherries for him to enjoy while he was cleaned, which he then promptly denied. While these are comforts that he was used to, he found that his patience was thinner than he would have liked it to be. There was somewhere else he wanted to be. There was someone else he wanted to see. Still, every time he asked, Katara was indisposed. She was sleeping, they would tell him. 
she was out of the palace grounds with Suki looking for fabrics in the marketplace, they would tell him. It did not do well for his new heart to be so far from she who'd grown it, held it, and, if he were to be honest with himself, owned it entirely. When he found himself alone, finally, he was wearing his Fire Lord's regalia just as the day was about to end and the sun was starting to set. He'd sent the royal tailor and his assistants away, citing that he wanted some time alone with a garment. At least half of that excuse was true. There were pins in several places in the sleeves and in the torso, and the train was far, far too long for his liking. The servants would repair it all through the night to have it ready for his coronation by morning, he knew, but felt that even that would not be quite enough. His hair, freshly washed, was undone as he stared at himself at the long, ornate mirror before him. He looked like a child playing dress-up in his father's clothes, he thought, like the role did not fit him quite right. He exhaled through his nose and attempted to remove it by himself. He did not care to call for the servants coming in to dress and undress and redress him as if he were helpless. But... When he bent ever so slightly to remove part of the regalia from his person, he groaned at the pain that pressed hard against his chest. His muscles were still too new that any strenuous movement proved sore enough to sting. You should not be overexerting yourself, nephew, said his uncle, walking briskly into the room and helping him remove the large, heavy cape from the robe. I'm fine, uncle, he said, letting himself be helped. I don't need everyone fretting over me all the time. I'm not that fragile. Understand, Zuko, Iroh started, his voice measured and slow. We saw you die. I know, the younger man replied, bowing his head. And I'm so sorry for scaring everyone like that. Mm, Kataro was right, said his uncle, putting his hands on his shoulders. Gold eyes met bronze, a familial stare. I never saw it before. How you apologize. Even for things that are not your fault, or need apologizing for. Iroh put a hand on Zuko's face, the side without his scar, out of habit. You did a good, admirable thing, Zuko. Saving your friend at risk to your own life. I am so proud of you, my son. Thank you, uncle, he said. Iroh smiled, but then Zuko quickly pulled his head back as he processed his uncle's words. Wait, you talked to Katara? Just before she went to go rest this morning, yes, his uncle replied, a sly gleam shining in his old eyes as he helped his nephew take off the rest of the regalia. Is she okay? Better now that you are, Iroh replied. How are you feeling? 
Better. He answered as he put back on the light robe over his form that was pretty much the only piece of clothing that he could somewhat put on himself without much trouble. When he stretched his arm into one sleeve, he winced. His uncle raised a brow at him and he simply shrugged the robe into place. But it does hurt a little when I do that. When it was finished, Iroh motioned for his nephew to sit by the ornate chaise lounge just by the full-length mirror. They sat next to each other, and Zuko sighed in relief. <sighs> Growing a new heart is unheard of. Nothing short of miraculous, said Iroh, patting his nephew's knee. You and Katara will face many enemies and many challenges. Those who are so easily frightened of what they do not know will judge you or fear her or both. He said this with a quirk of his head, lips pressed together. You may have just won a war, but you have so much ahead of you to fight still. I know, Zuko replied. He bowed his head, fingers twined between his spread legs. He then turned his head to face his uncle, his gaze piercing, unfaltering just the same. But I'll face it anyway. I'm not one to back down from a challenge. You never give up without a fight. I know that. With that, Iroh rose and collected the discarded garments. I shall deliver these to the tailor and they should be ready by tomorrow morning. I have been arranging for your coronation and the ball afterward while you rested. We are expecting many guests, you know. He straightened the way he stood at that point, the glee of his excitement clear from the way his eyes shone. Dignitaries from the Water Tribes and the Earth Kingdom should have already started to arrive. There's gonna be a ball? Of course! Or have you ever known me to miss an opportunity to celebrate, nephew? Zuko chuckled to himself <laughs> and shook his head. Iroh continued. And besides, it is the end of a hundred years of war and your coronation. Such a momentous occasion calls for a big party. At the mention of his coronation, Zuko's smile faltered. I still can't believe I'm going to be Fire Lord. You already are, his uncle corrected. And then... He started. He licked his lips, words caught in his throat, and he looked up at his uncle. Iroh arched a brow, and Zuko finished. Then, you'll return to Bossingsei? A hearty chuckle took hold of him then, his features softening. The smile he gave then was one that eased Zuko's anxieties, and his words provided ever more so. And leave my nephew alone to run a country by himself? What kind of father do you take me for? 
It's like you don't know me at all. He teased. Zuko returned the smile, gratitude shining clear as day in his gold eyes. Iroh put a hand on his shoulder then and gave him a firm but gentle squeeze. I will be here with you, helping you until you can run things smoothly on your own. And even after that, I will be here anytime you need me. That could be years. I know. But Zuko tried. What about the Jasmine Dragon? Mm, my tea shop can wait. Nephew, know that nothing will ever be more important to me than you. And I do not expect a boy of 17 to be able to lead the Fire Nation without a little bit of guidance and support. The boy nodded then, his shoulders relaxing finally as the tension was released from his bones. But his uncle was not quite done as mischief wove its way back into his knowing gaze. Though I suppose of support you have plenty, he said. That made Zuko snap his head up. In the form of a very pretty young waterbender. Uncle, he groaned, closing his eyes. He felt the blush return to his cheeks, the tingling of marching soldiers run down to the base of his spine. Iroh could only chuckle. Of that, I have only one thing to say, and you will hear me say it. He said, gripping his nephew's shoulder just that much tighter. Zuko blinked up at him, his mouth agape. His uncle stared him down and paused, and he could taste the anxiety rising to the tip of his tongue, but he could not speak. So, instead, he swallowed down the building acid. Iroh's eyes narrowed, and finally he said, Do not mess that up. He let out a breath, some semblance of a smile returning to his relieved lips, and nodded. I wouldn't dream of it, uncle, he replied. That's my boy. The citizens of Caldera City could not recall a day in their lives when the docks were filled with so much color. Children begged and pleaded with their mothers to go run to the side of the foreigners' ships, dropping anchor, pulling at the ends of their skirts and trousers' pant legs in an attempt to drag them towards the harbor. Grown citizens of the Fire Nation clumped together and watched the foreigners enter their country, mouths agape, unabashedly staring at the new sight. This was uncharted territory. None of them had ever seen such an explosion of new colors. 
Tomorrow, they would have a new Fire Lord, and the war will officially be over. Naturally, leaders from all over the world were making their way to the capital to mark the occasion. It was the beginning of a new era in the world's history, one that hardly any of them had known. There were so few left who could remember what it was like before the Fire Nation attacked. On any other day, she might have loved the sight, but on a day like today, all she wanted to do was see something comforting and familiar. After all, she had just spent the last two days healing this country's new leader with her bare hands. Her bones were still exhausted and ached for warmth, for an embrace, for reprieve from the weight on her shoulders. Yet, in every corner was something new, something she had never seen before, something alien and strange, as if striking evermore the note that she was a foreigner here. As much as Iroh tried to make her feel welcome in the palace, being surrounded by so much of something so new was enough to rattle even the calmest of oceans. Katara ran through the crowds, eyes never resting until she could find the dark skin and wolf-tail hair that was the sight that she'd known since she was a child, almost like a lighthouse helping to guide her ship to shore. Or a watchtower, she joked to herself. For most of the day, she had spent it all with strangers she barely knew. They had washed her hair, taken her measurements, fed her, and asked her questions at Iroh's insistence that at her first chance of freedom from them all, she sought out a face, a presence that felt safe. Her sole reprieve was the request from Suki to help her run a few errands while she was out along the marketplace. Unfortunately, the actual one she'd really wanted to see was otherwise preoccupied with things that did not quite concern her. Odd, it seemed, for part of him to be apart from her after everything that had transpired between them. She came to the marketplace with Suki to seek out new fabrics, but the older girl had been taken by news that her Kiyoshi warriors were just about to arrive by the docks, recently released from Fire Nation Hold. At Suki's separation, the same messenger informed her of her brother's presence nearby. So, that was where she found herself. So near the sea, and yet never had the waterbender ever felt so lost in her life. Just then, two children ran past her, a small, obviously handmade paper pinwheel in their hands as they ran. Siblings, she thought. They delighted in the sight of their little makeshift toy turning in the wind. She had to smile at the sight, if only for a split second, as she tried to look for her own brother. Finally, she found him waiting by one of the ports, hanging on to his crutch as he waited for the ships to make it to shore. Is he here? She asked, holding his arm. Sokka turned his head to his sister with a jolt. Oh, what, Zuko? What? N no. N no, I know he's not here. I, I mean, Dad. Relax, I would have told you if he were here. So far, only the Earth Kingdom dignitaries and Northern Water Tribe delegates have arrived. 
Some of the Freedom Fighters are here too. They are loving the Royal Fire Nation Dig Zuko set up for them. Zuko set it up? Well, not really. He said, making a face. Uncle did. A beat later, he asked. Wait, have you not seen Zuko yet? No, not since I healed him last, she admitted. He's off being prepared for the coronation tomorrow. You'd think you two would be joined at the hip after your whole thing happened. He quipped, gesturing as dramatically with his hands as he could, given his current injury. Still can't believe your boyfriend's gonna be the Fire Lord. It was bait, and he knew it when he said it. She knew it when she heard it. Yet, how he could reel her in with it anyway. He's not my boyfriend, she denied immediately, while a faint, warm pink rose to her cheeks. A tingling came to the back of her neck, making the hair there stand on end. She swallowed and grit her teeth. Katara, please, said her brother, rolling his eyes. He smirked. He jumped in front of lightning for you. That doesn't mean I owe him anything. Even he would tell you that. You regrew his heart. I would have done that for any of you. But you're in love with him, Katara. Not just any of us. He said, any of us, spoken in air quotes. His dedication to making the air quotes with his fingers very nearly made him trip over himself. But with quick reflexes, he managed to steady himself on his crutch. When he did find himself standing upright, he simply rested his weight upon the crutch and shrugged his shoulders, as if the display hadn't happened. Plain and simple. How she envied his easy certainty. When you were taught a fact and are made to believe that it is true beyond a doubt and incontrovertible, accepting it is as easy as taking in a breath. A careless shrug of the shoulders, a nod of the head, a simple, well, that makes sense to me. But matters of the heart were not matters with easy conclusions that were so straightforward. No, the spirits deemed that too easy, and mortals and their frail, fickle hearts are far too much fun to play with, she thought they would think. Hers was a whirlpool heart that simply took everything else around it in. She wished for solace, for peace, for quiet safety of somewhere that felt like home. She wanted to find Zuko. The change in her expression made her brother's playful nature soften. His icy gaze went from piercing to that of sympathy, a kind smile on his lips. Was it fear that shone in her eyes, he wondered? Worry? Anxiety? Her distress was clear to him. How can you be so sure? She asked him, pleading in its softness. Because you can't see her face when you look at him. He answered in the same tone. When we thought we lost him? Katara, I've never seen you that scared before. I've only seen that look on Dad when he... You know... She knew. Her hands reached for her dark hair, the ends of her soft tresses against the skin of her fingers. She bit her lower lip and sighed. 
Do you love Suki? Of course I love Suki. He replied with no hesitation, no doubt plaguing him. A matter of fact. How do you know? Just do. She did not know whether she wanted to be aggravated by his candor or relieved by his genteel ease. If it were so easy to accept, then why did even thinking about it feel as if a million different fires all ignited inside her stomach all at the same time? Katara felt as if she were a thousand storms made flesh, doubt howling like godly winds in her mind. Despite how Iroh had settled her convictions earlier this morning, there was hardly anything that could quieten the distress of her heart. Well, not hardly anything. Just one thing. It... It's different for us. He's going to be Fire Lord. She spat this out like venom, as if it were something distasteful in her mouth instead of something she's had time to consider. He's going to have to marry some rich, snobby, Fire Nation noblewoman or something. Says who? He replied, almost flippantly. In case you forget, we won the war, Katara. Zuko's the Fire Lord. We've been at war for a hundred years, and for the first time, we're the ones who get to decide what happens next. The old rules don't apply. He paused and stared her down. What could you possibly be afraid of? I... She tried to start, but the words were caught in her throat. I don't know. You know he likes you, right? I know. He told me so a few weeks ago. Sure, that. And he took lightning for you. The guys made it pretty clear he would literally die for you. I just don't know if I'm ready. Then don't be ready, Katara. You don't have to be ready. You're 15. He'd wait if you want him to. You know he would. It's your choice. It'd be so complicated. So is being with Suki. She's a Kiyoshi warrior. She lives on Kiyoshi Island. I'll have to go back home eventually, too. We have so much going on right now. He commented, his cadence developing a sing-song quality to it as he went on. But wanting to be with Suki? Simplest thing in the world. She's worth it. We make it work because we want to make it work, you know? He took a moment then to wrap an arm around his sister's shoulders. And besides, technically, you're a princess. <sighs> you're right. She teased, pushing him back. What does that have to do with anything? No, seriously, think about it. Dad's the chief, which is like the king of the Southern Water Tribe, sort of, or whatever, so... He trailed off, suggestion plain in his ellipsis. If it comes to political stuff like that that keeps you guys apart, I'll bash a few brains in to let you guys be together, if that's what you guys want. He felt her lean into him then. If it comes to a fight, you won't have to fight alone, sis. It doesn't have to be so complicated, you know? How come we're suddenly on Team Zuko? 
she asked, throwing a playful smirk up his way. Listen, any guy who jumps in front of lightning and burns his heart out for my baby sister is okay by me. He answered, shrugging his shoulders. Plus, you like him. He likes you. And if you guys get together, he can make me dinner anytime I want. At this point, the only people dragging this out longer than it needs to be is you two, and it's getting real old real fast. That managed to break through her anxieties, and she cracked a grin, a chuckle escaping her lips. <sighs> I do love him, she found herself admitting. Katara crossed her arms over her chest and sighed. When the words left her lips out loud for the first time, the truth centered her like the eye of a storm. She caught herself starting to smile, and she did not to stop it from happening. I think. He returned the grin and angled his head away from her, his blue eyes that looked so much like hers shining with pride. See? I mean... He made a face as he continued, scrunching up his nose. That's super gross, but see? Said Sokka, squeezing her tighter against him. It's gonna work out, you'll see. Thanks, Sokka. She said, wrapping her arms around his middle and holding her brother tightly. He returned her embrace and rested his cheek atop her head. The siblings stayed like that for a long moment as the silhouette of ships from the Southern Water Tribe broke into the horizon. So that's still a no on using the blood healing on my leg then? He managed to quip. Katara kept her eyes closed and grimaced. Don't ruin it. <laughs>